Uh, I'm Darren. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, boy, I'm, I'm just glad to see everybody. We, uh, uh, we were just fresh back from Haiti last night. Uh, I think I laid down finally at 12.30 last night, and, uh, and I don't know. I've been kind of a mess this morning from it. I've, I mean, I've lost track of how many times I've gone, but you know, in first service when we were singing, Jesus, I need you, and it was just like wrecking me because I realized that I was just surrounded by people for this week who when they sing that, they actually mean it because they don't have anything else. And so it's just a different vibe when we come home. And I had to remind myself that, you know, I have a car and I drove here. It had air conditioning and uh, that I can sing that song and not really mean it. And it's not that, by the way, I don't mean to drop a guilt trip because we've been prosperous. That is not at all the case. Um, It's about saying that because we've had this blessing, though, to just make sure and remind ourselves of that. Jesus didn't say it was a sin to have wealth. He just said it was dangerous. Um, when he talked about, in fact, he said these words, and this, these words kind of suck, if I'm being honest, that it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But then his next sentence was like, oh, whew, but with God, all things are possible. This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Did you know that's what he was talking about? It was about us, that we can, it is possible that we can be uh, in the kingdom of God in, in, in this country. And it's a great blessing. I, when we read those words of Paul, when he talked about the way I learned how to be, uh, when I, whether I have had much or whether I have little, I've learned to be content. It's just that it's harder. The bigger miracle is being content when you have much, right? When you have little, do you know why that is? If, you have not, if your neighbor doesn't have anything, there's nothing to covet. It's kind of easy. You know, I've heard it said that I could live a lot easier if my neighbors would, or I could live a lot simpler if my neighbors would. Um, that's, that's really what the Bible is talking about. So that's the promise for us. And, um, and we're going to, in the coming weeks, I'm going to have Jim share a little bit of uh, his experience. Jim's been a part of our church for, you know, before the, we even started. And it was his first chance. We, we sort of parachuted them in this week. And, um, but I want to give Greg as much time as possible this morning if... I mean, first service was, you know, amazing. Like, I'm, take, I'm literally up here taking notes. I don't know if, you, if I'm writing because I'm like, well, that's really good stuff. Um, and w- we've been on this journey talking about this pursuit of happiness in our country. It's what we're doing. We're trying to be happy. And it's um, the last two weeks of that have been sermons. And as I prayed through, I mean, next Sunday is Mother's Day. Uh, it's happy wife, happy life. We already know that. So, but for today... I've invited my friend uh, Greg to, to share with us because Greg is a real-life example okay, of what it can look like to live a life where you've been literally sucker-punched by the Genesis 3 fallen world that we live in and, and still how you can walk in, in, in a contentment that only, only can be supernatural. With it, so I'm not going to steal any more of Greg's. So would you guys make Greg Murtha feel welcome? And, and we'll get right into it. With- I've known Greg for a long, long time. Um, we, we all sort of rolled into Nashville to get in uh, the music industry, and Greg at one point wised up. Because um, when you think about it, if, if your business model is I've put my entire financial well-being of my family into the decision-making abilities of a 20-year-old bass player, that's, not, that's a pretty risky thing, right? And so, um, so Greg was smart, and he, he tapped out and, uh, and pursued. Can you tell us a little bit about like where you've your history with Bob and Halftime Institute. Okay, first, I'll start. Uh, you guys weren't at the first service. My son was, and he's not here. But I called him and said, hey, thanks for coming. He's here every Sunday. But, and he says, Dad, I need to offer you a piece of advice. Uh-oh. 
I said, what's that? He goes, you got, it's got to be funnier. <laughs> he says, that was way too heavy, you know? So, and the fact is, is that we're going to talk about things like I've had two heart attacks. I've, this week will be my 74th round of chemotherapy. There's, I mean, there's some heavy stuff. But within the context of that heaviness, there is a ton of humor. I mean, like recently he said to me, and I will start with something that's kind of funny. He says, Dad, you can't die. And I'm like, well, why would you say that? He says, well, I mean, the fact is, is I'm late to school almost every morning as it is. And he says, if you die, mom's going to have to get a job. And I'll never get to school on time. (laughs) So I said, well, Jackson, you need to know that mom and I, uh, you know, again, I, I think this is God. I don't think this is incredible wisdom, but... We, we had made great decisions as it relates to disability insurance. We had also made great decisions as it relates to life insurance. Uh, what's that, Dad? So that means when I die, your mom's going to get a really big check. And he stopped and he kind of thought about it and he says, exactly how much money are we talking, Dad? <laughs> so he's been wanting a McLaren. It's a $450,000 sports car. He thinks this might be the time. Do you want one too? Yeah. My son is like... <laughs> By the way, he's, he, Jackson's 15. He is not getting, uh, getting a McLaren. We could insure it for about three hours, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I left Nashville to, to go to work with some, uh, a guy in Little Rock, Arkansas, that we formed a couple of different ministries with the owner of a bank. Following that, I had an opportunity to go to work with a guy named Bob Buford. Has anyone heard of Bob? Is that, he wrote a book called Halftime, and the subtitle is Moving from the Pursuit of Success to the Pursuit of Significance. He says you can use your same skills and abilities that you use in the marketplace for your personal gain, or when you reach a point where lots of people do, and well, where they reach a point where they don't need money anymore, where they look up and go, now what? You know, and so what I find very interesting is, is uh, as you're climbing the ladder, there's something about, we think, speaking of happiness, we think we're going to get to the top of the ladder and we're going to be happy. Well, that's a cruel joke. It's not true. Because I work with some of the wealthiest people in the world, and I don't mean that to be pompous, because I also need to confess that I was Arkansas educated. So <laughs> what, what we say in Arkansas, our, our, for our state motto for public school education, is thank God for Mississippi. Okay? <laughs> That's it. Okay. It's the truth. I'm, I'm sincere when I say that. But I also need to be sincere and say, I, I would sit in meetings with some of the smartest people, not just in our country, but in the world. I mean, with, I don't if, know if you've ever heard of a guy named uh, Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker was Bob Buford's mentor. There was uh, oh, Jim Collins. There was Ken Blanchard. There was, I could name all of these, the Harvard MBAs. And I'm this guy that was public school educated at Arkansas. I went to the University of Arkansas. And by the way, didn't make very good grades. I'm sitting in these meetings, and I'm, I'm just going to say what I, I literally have a little voice inside of my head saying, what in the hell are you doing here? You know? <laughs> No lie. It's exactly how I felt all the time. But the reality is, is that, uh, anyway, God had me there for a reason. It was a great place to be, and it was a place where we could change the world, where we could encourage people who had a lot, which is, by the way, all of us, to give back. And when we give back is when we truly, truly get, if you will. You know, one last point I'll make real quick is I had lunch with a friend recently, and uh, in our mid-30s, he had done very, very well financially. I uh, was working with Buford, had made the transition from the marketplace to a ministry lifestyle, and completely okay with that. I don't, I'm, I'm, 
But the, the thing that we shared is we both wrestled with severe anxiety and panic attacks. And so, I mean, you would think, I'm running a ministry, we're doing things for God, that you would think that that would be a peaceful, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and all of that. And it wasn't for me because I was so driven. Now, it's interesting is I literally had lunch with this guy's name's Vance in Colorado Springs about four weeks ago. And he said to me, in, in, on this side of cancer, and we'll get through the diagnoses and all that, but on this side of cancer, I have never been more at peace. I'm not afraid of, I'm, I, in the past, I was afraid of not measuring up. I was afraid of, you know, what you would think of me. I was afraid of, and, and I would just act and perform and act and perform trying to gain people's approval. And, and that, that burden has been completely lifted. In Vance, my friend, who was the president and CEO of Goldmine Software Company, he has been a part of some of the biggest deals in Colorado's, uh, Colorado's history of the state. He's now started a company that, uh, for $100,000, that's probably valued at about a billion dollars. And he, uh, we were talking about his, his finances. He says, look, we're taken care of. He says, I'll probably have another uh, liquidity event. And I, I found this odd. I mean, I really did, because we're talking big dollars here, okay? And I said, wow, so you've got another liquidity event coming. He said, yeah, we do. We do. And I'll, that means that, that you're going to sell stock or you're going to you know, take the company public or you're going to do something, which means a big bump in income. He says, I'm going to be honest with you. He says, after that first one, he goes, it just depresses me. A, a big bump in I mean, he says, I've looked at my account where I wake up in the morning and it's you know, set at one. And then at the end of the day, it's 20 times one. He says, all it does is depress me. And I said, Vance, why is that? He says, because it doesn't make you happy. You know, he used to think that would make me happy. It doesn't make me happy at all. So it's interesting. For those of you that are climbing the ladder, stop. I mean, literally, I don't know anyone else that has done as good as Vance. But the fact is, it's not, that's not where you're going to find the happiness. I mean, it's every episode of VH1 behind the music. <laughs> I finally made it. I was huge and I was depressed and doing drugs and suicidal. And the story of, of the world is that. And I, as I was thinking about just the series, and it's, it's easy for me to just talk about it, but it's another thing to hear somebody who is literally living something that seems unimaginable and seeing how, how the Holy Spirit is moving in his life, and I've, I've been following, like, like a lot of you have, like thousands of other people are following Greg and his story online, and, uh, and have been so inspired, and I just, I, actually what I was thinking was, you know what, I can't repeat everything he said, and it won't sound nearly as smart if I say it, so I just want you to hear what Greg has to say, I want you guys to be, just have the blessing that I've had, which is to get to watch, have a front row seat to what Jesus is doing, and can you take us back to that, so the pre-Greg uh, pre-diagnosis, Greg, was, was running marathons, um, 46 years old, 11-mile runs, you know, I mean, just because just he could, um, working for a guy that, you know, uh, sold his telecom company for $300 million, and I love that he said that he wants, uh, the, he wants to give it all away, he wants the last check to bounce, because he wants it all gone, he wants to give it all away in his life. Um, take us back to that day with the the pre-greg because i remember what i thought when i saw this and i was like you got to be kidding me greg's one of the good guys how could it happen to him it was sort of like just a dialogue i was having with the lord about it because it just didn't feel right because we don't we separate people into good guys and bad guys in the world and and greg was one i had separated into the good guy and i, and I just you know social media gives you the illusion that you're in touch with each other and so i was watching this unfold and just man it was just i was just really i was sad when I saw it, but what, what was it like for you? You just, 
ran 11 miles, you're, you're at a doctor's appointment. Well, let, let me tell you a quick side note on that, on the social media stuff. As you guys know, uh, we don't ever take a picture of uh, when we, maybe we do when we wreck the car, but not when we get in a fight with our wife. You know, we don't ever put that on there. But I do need to confess, there's a, a chapter in the book that I've recently written that's called, uh, Oh, St. Martha, I'm Not. And part of that chapter is my wife walking into the family room as I'm sitting on our leather sofa with my computer in my lap. She has tears streaming down her face, and she says, you know, all those people that read your blog post think you're perfect. She says, they don't have to live with you. And she's exactly right. She's exact. So when you read that stuff, uh, it's for real. God's doing some really cool stuff. But, but boy, there's no one in the Mirtha household, nor in yours, by the way, as a, but that's perfect. You know, we're just trying to follow Jesus. So the deal is, is that in, in January of 2012, after going for a run in December of 2011, um, I, I'm what you see is what you get. I, I frankly probably share too much, but I, I don't think that's possible. I, I think I believe in vulnerability and authenticity. And I had gone for an 11-mile run in December. Uh, I had gotten back to the YMCA at Concord Road, uh, ran to the restroom, and, and I looked down. It looked like someone had poured, you know, like 10 of these full of blood in the toilet. And, and I was no doctor, but I thought, well, that's not good, you know. So we scheduled an appointment. We, we, we went and got a colonoscopy um, in January, January 27th. And uh, I'll never forget the doctor turning. And he was, he was having an exchange with his nurse. And he says to the nurse, um, order a CT scan immediately. And I turned to Tracy and I said, God, too bad for that guy. Because those of you that have never had a CT scan, especially those that are kids, probably don't understand this. But, but mostly men at a certain age have to have this procedure. And they line us up like cattle. There's like 12 little deals lined up. And then they, you know. So I, when he turns and says that, I said to Tracy, I said, hey, too bad for that guy. And then he turns and says, Mr. Murtha, you have cancer. And I was like... Okay, and candidly, I still was kind of on uh, the, the drugs that they put you on, uh, and I was still at that point trying to figure out how I'd gotten my clothes on. You know, I thought, I don't remember putting these clothes on. How, how do I, I mean, it just, it wasn't all registering. So, and that's, that's for real. By the way, I didn't say this earlier, but Jackson said add humor. So the doctor said, uh, don't worry, though, don't worry. My best friend is the absolute best colorectal surgeon in Nashville. He's unbelievable. I mean, this guy's going to take care of you. And I'm like, wow, look at Tracy. That's great. And he turns around. He says, I'm sorry. My friend doesn't take Aetna. So Aetna insurance. So I'm just like, what? And he's like, I, I think we can find someone who can do it. I'm like, you got to be kidding. This is like Major League Baseball and the manager going on the mound going, hey, send in the, the righties out there going, no, I'm not going to come in. You know, you're not, the best guy's not coming. Anyway, longer story, but the best guy did come. But, uh, yeah, where was I? I don't know. Where are we going with that I, anyway? Yeah. I mean, I, so I've been, oh, to that, yeah. I've been to that rodeo, and I yep. remember waking up with the feeling that something completely unnatural had happened, but I don't, you know. Uh, and Well, I, I remember. So, so we went from there. We went from there. We went to Calypso Cafe. The, the, the drugs had ru rub, run. You know, I was... I was, I was I wasn't trying to figure out how I got my clothes on. I was together. And I sat on the, at the table. Uh, it was a, a lunchtime. And I looked at Tracy after the, the waiter had taken our order. And, and almost in a question and almost in a statement, it just kind of dawned on me. I said, he said that I have cancer. And she said, yeah, he did. And immediately tears started streaming down my face. Now, I didn't know what that meant. I, I, I knew 
I knew things would change. Uh, I knew my life would never be the same. Uh, I didn't know if it would hurt. I didn't know if it, but I, I, at that point, I knew, you know what, something just changed, and this is monumental. And I'm a guy that's a very, very positive. Uh, I'm not a glasses half full. My glasses always overflowing. So I figured, hey, we'll beat this thing, you know. So, but I, there still was just, it was a moment of going, gosh, everything just changed. And as it was changing, you know, you began to realize that this was like way worse than what you thought, that there's, that he's giving you news that is not good news. Mm-hmm. Well, in, uh, frankly, going in for the surgery, we found the best, sur- really, we did get the best surgeon in Nashville. Uh, I was in such great shape that we went in on a, a Friday, had the surgery. Uh, Saturday, had or p- people come visit us in the hospital. Sunday, I walked a mile in the hospital. Monday, I carried my bags out of the hospital. Tuesday, we went to a fundraiser at the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame. I'm thinking we beat this thing. We got it. That's just great. Everything's golden. And on Thursday, I was sitting at home, and I got a call from the surgeon, Dr. Paul Wise. And Dr. Wise says, just went straight into it. He goes, hey, uh, labs came back. It's not what we expected. It's aggressive stage three. We're going to have to go uh, immediately and start chemotherapy. Most people, I say, wait a week or two to to recover from your surgery. You seem to be doing just fine. We're not going to wait. And and that's all I remember him saying, because after that, I was just kind of checked out. And I hung up the phone, and I remember sitting on the sofa Tracy's not home. Jackson's not home. Tears start rolling down my face. And I'm like, how am I going to tell my wife this? And how in the world am I going to tell a 10-year-old kid that his dad, I mean, this is, so, I mean, it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't far from that time. It wasn't, it didn't, uh, but, but it dawned on me. It's like, you know what? This is not a surprise to God. He didn't wake up and go, oh my goodness, we made a mistake. Greg got cancer. No, this was part of his plan, you know? Second thing is, is I go, I know I love my son. I mean, I love my son like nobody's business. And those of you that are parents know, know what that feels like. So I had kind of, uh, my, my, my thinking was like, well, God loves me more than I even love my son, if that's possible, which I don't know how that's possible, but it is. If that's true, I want what's best for my son. I know God wants what's best for me. So I assume this, this must be, uh, it's part of his plan. He loves me. He wants what's best for me. And I can either get angry and shake my fist at heaven and say, how dare you? Or, or I can say, thank you. You know, and God, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing in this situation, I'm yours. And I literally said, I, I'm in. This is, uh, and, and I'll share what I'm learning, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I, I, whatever you ask me to do, because I'd lived for years doing really good stuff, working with incredible philanthropists, being involved in ministries, but I literally lived my life with my foot kind of uh, on the break, you know, not, not don't really go for it. I mean, it, it just kind of on the break. So if things get a little weird, we'll just slow down and pull over. We won't dive into the weirdness, if you will. And I, as I've thought through this um, a lot, because one of the things you've used this phrase, you've called it the gift. And it really like, if, if you haven't had the diagnosis, and maybe if you have, this might be even a confusing statement for you, but it's not hyperbolic for you. Like, you're actually saying it, and you mean it, that there's a gift in this to you, this diagnosis and where you've been with it. If, if you've not had that gift or if you don't understand that, like, help, help us understand when you call it the gift, what do you mean? A friend of mine, Kim Mordecai, that I went to high school with, told me, she reached out to me, she had uh, battled cancer, overcome cancer, and she says, I'm going to teach you a few things that I think you're going to need to know. And one of them is don't block a blessing. People are going to want to serve you. They're going to want to come alongside. Uh, it's natural for you to say no, but don't. 
they, it's a blessing to give, give them that blessing. But the second thing she said is there's a reason God has you in these waiting rooms. There's a reason God has you in these hospitals. And it might not be the reason that you think. She says there are people that are there that are afraid, that don't know Jesus, that, that are just trying to take the next step in front of them. And there needs to be someone there who cares for them. She says, I'm going to encourage you in every room that you walk in, pray and look around and see who is it that God wants you to encourage. And so it, it, it's interesting because it, it, it transitioned it from being, uh, you know, this is a burden early on or this is a, uh, you know, this is going to be, it's going to be hard. But it, 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 it actually transitioned it to the point where it became a mission. And what I found is, is when I leaned into people, like uh, the first example I think of that I felt God told me to lean into someone was it was at Vanderbilt. There was a guy probably in his mid-60s. I think his name was Dan or Dave. And he comes, I mean, it literally comes bounding out of the infusion room. And I'm waiting at the elevator. I mean, this guy has more energy than I'm like, it's unbelievable. Did this guy just do chemo? Because people don't look like that walking out of the infusion room. And I said, did you just do chemo? He says, yep, I did. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I said, uh, you know, why, why do you have so much energy? He says, oh, we're beating this thing. He says, you know, 10 years ago, I was given three years to live. He goes, I'm seven years ahead of this. And inside of me, I wanted to ask him about, okay, and I did. I said, you know, so let me ask you something, Dave. You're, you're obviously the chemo that you're on now is working. He goes, yep, it is. I said, what happens when that stops working? He says, well, they've got another one lined up. I said, okay, how about that? What happens when that one stops working? And I'm frankly leaning into, okay, what happens when it's all said and done? And he says after that, he goes, I don't know. He goes, I'll just go be with Jesus, I guess. And I said, Dan, that is exactly what I was wanting to hear from you. That's exactly why I was asking those questions. And one of the great things Vanderbilt offers is incredible valet parking for people who are doing cancer, or the people who are sick. It's a great program. So I, I go down to wait for my car. He walks around the corner with his wife. I do remember her, her name is Roxanne. And so Dan turns to his wife and says, Roxanne, this is Greg, the guy that I was telling you about. He talked to me about Jesus. Now get this. He was the one that mentioned Jesus. I didn't. And so what that did for me is it was like, wow, that gave me uh, confidence and, and encouragement as far as if God prompts me to enter a conversation with someone that's a serious conversation, do it. He'll give you the words to say. I was... Um just watching you these past couple of weeks even has been, you know, frankly, it's hard because you've been, you've been in a lot of pain. There's been a lot of suffering happening and it's like, I'm trying to find a wheelhouse for it. And I, I kind of went back to my, uh, my go-to when my faith is like, I had to put a, find a wheelhouse. I go, I'll go to C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you guys do that or not, but and so I went back to his book, the problem with pain. And, um, he, you know, he wrote these words that spoke to me every, I think I've read this book 14 times. But he talks about we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I, I was reading that and thinking, well, but, but C.S. Lewis didn't have cancer. <laughs> and I was, I don't know, I just, I wanted to ask you, like, does that, is that true? Is that how you're feeling it right now? Are you... Or would you tweak anything that he said? I I think it was harder for C.S. Lewis because his wife did. Fair. You know, and and I tell you, I I would rather carry the burden. You know, those, some of you probably have kids that are sick. You know, I can't imagine that, you know, but, but which then, 
I mean, again, for me, would draw me even more and just closer to Jesus. Yeah. You know, so through the suffering and through the pain, I, I ask too, why, why do people, why do you fast? You know, why, why does someone, you know, keep from eating food? Well, so you can have the hunger pains. That'll be a reminder, you know, to continue to pray. And, and, and you know, I'm not in pain all the time. I, I've had a couple of things happen over the last couple of weeks that weren't very pleasant. Uh, but what I see is it's, I, I, I mean, I don't mean, I don't, I don't have to fast, you know, because we do. But the bottom line is, is that, I have that pain that reminds me to turn to Jesus, you know, because yeah. what you find is that uh, you can take a ton of hydrocodone, uh, and, and frankly, a lot of times it doesn't work. Hmm. So, I was, um, if you're even wondering, okay, why would we talk about this on a Sunday morning? This is really heavy and serious. And, uh, in 1997, um, Shannon and I were back in Tulsa, and we were part of a, a little church fellowship with a guy named Buddy Harrison. He was in the publishing industry. He had uh, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, and basically if they're on TBN, he's the, he had published their books. Well, Buddy was a preacher who had gotten throat cancer, which is a pretty cruel thing to get uh, when you're a preacher. And in the last year of his life, he couldn't really speak. And, and, uh, and Buddy would, is with Jesus now. But during that time, it was like a parade of private jets of all the, the people that loved him and that, uh, that, that would that you've seen on TV and whatever, and they're praying for him. And if we just, if we just say this, this will happen. And so, and when he passed, there was this moment where they, there was then the whispering, well, he probably had secret sin in his life or he probably had this or, you know, and, and I just remember at 26 years old thinking, okay, there either is no God or what I believe about him is wrong. There's the only two options left at this point. And the reason I, I've invited Greg, one of them is because sometimes in our church settings, the things we're saying is perfect atheist training for our young people. Because on the other side of that, if I'm like, well, that didn't happen, but if God didn't promise it would happen, sometimes we're asking him to keep a promise he didn't make. And the idea of what, that some people do get healed, I've told this story, absolutely true. My big toe broke in fifth grade. Female evangelist comes in, lays hands on me, I fall down, I fake the fall. <laughs> swear. But my big toe was healed. <laughs> And it's, and by the way, that's what saved my faith was remembering, oh, but he did do that for me. And my point being that sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't, and he's good in either situation. And for us to understand that, even for our children to, to know that, to hope, you know, like we talked about last week, Paul was praying, he expected to get out of prison, but even if I don't, what, what, what do I lose? I'm in heaven. And then a second later, and in a world where God knows no time and space, you know, you wonder how on the other side, if a child went before, you know, the first funeral I got to do was for an 11-year-old boy. Um, how could he be happy in heaven? But if there's no time and space for him, it's a split second, and mama's right there. So on the other side, that's not the problem. It's us that are left behind. And I guess my point being, th there is no greater faith, in my opinion, than to say, God, I'll give the choice to you. I truly believe that God gives his best to those who leave the choice up to him. And there is no better prayer than the prayer that Jesus himself prayed, which is, this, I, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And, and, and I've, I feel like I've been watching that happen. And, and for me, my question for you then, how do you define hope where you are right now? 
part of the gift of this, and I, I'm going to tell another story, and it's a very short one, is that Tracy Jackson and I went down. My son, again, Jackson's 15. My wife's up here on the front row. Uh, but uh, we went to see uh, Ben Rector at the Ryman. And uh, we love Ben Rector in our house. I, I love the fact that there's an artist that I like and my son likes. Uh, so we, we've seen him a number of times. And when the show was over, we're driving out of downtown Nashville. At the time, Jackson was 13. And at the time, we had just learned that the cancer had metastasized to my lungs, which is, that's not a good thing, by the way, for those of you in cancer, you know, that haven't been in cancer world. And so uh, in the back seat out of the blue, Jackson says, you know, Mr. Mark, hey, Dad, Mr. Mark is really a good guy. And I said, well, why would you say that? And Mark is an old friend of ours. And uh, he says, well, he called me today and asked me how I'm doing with your most recent diagnoses. I said, that's cool. What a friend of mine would call directly to him. I said, how are you doing? He said, Dad, and by the way, I, I, working with the philanthropist Bob Buford, we, it, we took a cut in pay and did all of that, but we've never sacrificed anything. The reality is, is I got to represent him in ministry, and I say deals, but ministry opportunities all over the world. I mean, we've been, I mean, we've been almost everywhere, and my son got to go with us that entire time. And he says, so he says, Dad, he says, uh, people all over the world are praying for you, and they're praying for us, and God could heal you. Goes, but if he doesn't, he says, Dad, the day you die, you'll be standing with Jesus. Okay, this is a 13-year-old. And he says, and you know what's really cool? He says, Mom and I won't be far behind. So the, the reality is, is the hope, um, and we, I mentioned earlier, it was Matthew 33, 13, 44. It's the, the field, you know, the guy found the, the, the prize in the field, and he, he hid it, and then he went and sold everything, and he came back and bought the field. Well, I found the prize. And the prize is, is in being obedient to what God asked me to do, whether it's as simple as pray for someone in a lobby in a hospital or waiting for someone to bring their car up or whatever it may, whatever God asks us to do, he invites us to be a part of his plan. And when we become a part of his plan and step out of our plan, our plan is just like this little play that's playing down at some small middle school in Franklin. His plan is Broadway. We get to be a part of the show. So the reality is, is there's gigantic joy in that. And so it's funny to say this, but I, I told someone between the services is that uh, if I had a choice that I could go back and say, um, I can check a box, and I never had to experience what we've experienced for the past five years. No chemotherapy, no suffering, no all the stuff that comes with that. Would I trade that for what I've learned as far as my faith is concerned and what, what, uh, what I've learned as far as it, it's, I, I can slow down and actually rest in my relationship with God. I don't have to perform to earn it. So would I trade that? And, and the reality is, is I would rather live five years the way that I'm living now than 50 the way that I was living before. When, when Scripture says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke was chafing and my burden was almost unbearable. And that was my fault, not God's. Afterwards, when I realized I can just lie down and put my head in his lap and that's what he wants and then he'll tell me what to do, there's, there, there's no greater joy than that. that. That's worth candidly taking everything we have and selling it and having to suffer to have that. It's worth it. And so my hope isn't here. It, it's an eternity. But, but I think our eternity, actually, once we accept Jesus, starts here anyway. 
So on a, on a practical level, in a few minutes we have left, mm-hmm. but on a practical level, how can we as a church family, uh, as, you know, in general, like if, you, if, if we have friends in our life maybe that are where you are right now and where your family is, can you just disciple us, help us? What are things to say and do that are helpful and what are things that are not helpful, that we sound helpful, but in, in reality it's not? Okay, as far as what you can do for someone else is don't, and this is going to sound crazy, don't ask them what you can do for them because they have no idea. I mean, the number of people that will reach out and go, man, if I can do anything for you, let me know. Well, I don't have any I, I, I don't know. Even if I do know, it's kind of awkward to say, you know, will you change the oil in my car or will you rake my backyard or whatever. So my encouragement is don't ask, just act. Ask God what he would have you do for them and do that. And it could be something really goofy. I mean, something weird. I, a great example, just yesterday, uh, we saw a friend whose husband died of cancer 20 years ago in their first year of marriage. And I saw that a group of people had come around her. She was trying to buy a condo, and, and she, had not, she wasn't in a good financial situation. The deal went sideways. And a group of people came alongside and said, we're going to help you with that. And, and, and frankly, I, I didn't know really the backstory on all of that. All I saw is that she had posted on Facebook this really cool condo that she was vulnerable and said, my friends really helped me. And you know what God told me to do? I look at that, uh, look at that uh, condo and I said, told Tracy, we had to buy her a couch. I mean, wouldn't that be cool to have a new couch and that new? So I sent her a message. We hadn't spoken in a long time, but I sent her a message and said, hey, call me. Well, she called me yesterday and we have a conversation and I said, this is going to sound nuts, but I think we're supposed to buy you a couch. And then there was a long pause on the other end of the line. She says, I have everything I need for my condo, but I don't have a couch. I just do what God tells you to do, okay? And the second thing, and I'll make this very short, just sit with someone. You don't have to fill the dead air. You don't, it, it's, it's okay. When someone's sick and they just have someone come alongside and sit next to them, I, I don't need you telling me I'm going to be okay. I, I don't need you. I just, just be there. You know, and frankly, I think a lot of times, and Bob, I'm guilty of this too. I, I go and sit with someone who's sick and I try to, you know, become Johnny Carson or something. The reality is they just need me to be quiet and just be there. Um, in a former life, I represented a band um, called Cutlass. And we released a song called um, What Faith Can Do. And it was giant, it went gold, and radio stations were falling all over themselves. And the very next record, the next song, which is a, it was a fantastic song, was called Even If the Healing Never Comes. And it tanked. Because radio stations didn't want to play it because it wasn't, it wasn't hopeful. But the, I guess my, where I took a step back was, but it was true. And the problem is, is that sometimes the truth isn't commercially viable. It doesn't mean it's not true. And what I wanted, if nothing else, for us to walk out of here today was with truth. Because the world right now would say, how could an all-loving and powerful God, if he's all-loving and all-powerful, how could he allow suffering? And what they're saying is, if I don't know the reason, there must not be one. That's about as arrogant as you can get. The fact that just because I don't know the reason doesn't mean there isn't one. But we can know this, that it's not because he's not good. Because a God that would punch through the time-space continuum, become man, and dwell among us, 
and suffer like we did, like we do, and then die on behalf of us. If he would do that, he's good. It isn't because he doesn't love you. And it isn't if we don't know the reason, and that's the thing, if you're a young person to know that, you may not know the reason, but it doesn't mean there isn't one. And we can look and just see on a practical level that what's happening in, in Greg's life is doing good in, in this world. And it, I would say that that's probably not the only reason. I bet when we get to eternity, we're going to sit around campfires. I'm assuming they'll have campfires in heaven. Need there to be. You know what I'm saying? Don't we just need there to be in the new heaven and the new earth? And we'll tell the war stories. We'll sing the songs of war from this side of... And like, if you've ever been around like older uh, war vets and they tell their stories, especially when they're together, they were in battle together. They were in war together. That's why Marines want to be buried next to each other because there was a bond that happened there. And I'm just, in my mind's eye, I can see the song of Mirtha <laughs> that we'll sing as we tell the war stories on the other side. And, and as we wind it down for this moment to say... Uh, thank you, first of all. And thank you, Tracy. Thank you uh, for allowing us to be a part of this story. There's a, a quote that you had in the book, and I wish I could remember it, but it was by a guy's name I couldn't even pronounce. But one of the, be- the, um, the, 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 grace, the greatest proofs of Christianity is our... Can you remember it? It's, it's Sheldon Von Aachen. And it's essentially... Uh, by the way, he wrote a book called... Uh, a Severe Mercy, if you haven't read it, it's an unbelievable read. It's an amazing book. But he says a problem with, uh, with and I'm going to miss it. I'm not, I'm not going to get it exactly. I'll paraphrase. The problem with Christianity, he says, is, is the fact is, is there's so many Christians out there that live so many judgmental lifestyle. They, they don't welcome people. They live, they, you know, it's just look down their nose and yada, yada. But the other side of that is the great, you know, part of Christianity is those of you that don't those that love people where they are, those that love the ragamuffins like Brennan Manning would. So the, the reality is, is I can honestly say that, that uh, you know, I, I would be that person looking down my nose if this hadn't happened, you know, which is, frankly, it's a gift. That is an absolute gift to be able to live this way. Because of what Jackson said, because I didn't make it funny enough the first time, yeah. can I tell a 30-second story Absolutely. that happened when he hey, was... Nobody's going to walk out of here. So you're, you're got it. Jackson, you got was, Jackson was 10 years old, uh, I was going through these treatments, and a, a very good friend of mine, an older lady that I really, really respect, said, you need to have a conversation with Jackson about your mortality. So how do you have a conversation with a 10-year-old kid about mortality, about you potentially dying? And, you know, I chickened out it several times, and so I was driving him to school. Uh, we're going up 65, and I, I remember uh, kind of leaning back and said, hey, Jackson, you know, uh, what I have is called cancer. He says, yeah, Dad, I know that. And I said, you know, we have people praying for us all over the world and, you know, some friends and, you know, you see people show up and, you know, all that. He says, yeah, 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 Dad, I know that. And he says, uh, well, the, the fact is, is that, um, you know, th- this could actually be something that would cause me to die. And I said, the, the kind of cancer that I have is kind of slow growing, so it's probably not going to happen immediately, but you know, it might happen. You know, anyways, it, it, it's, it, it, it might happen sometime in the future. I said, do you worry about that? And he just says, no, Dad, not at all. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right. Well, you know what? That, that, you get all you know, excited about. And then he says, you know, Dad, you know what really worries me? And I'm thinking deep inside, okay, we're going to have this great, deep conversation. We're going to meet like dads and sons are supposed to. And he says, Dad, if people keep bringing all of these lasagnas and casseroles 
he says, we're going to run out of space in the freezer for my popsicles. <laughs> Which leads me to one of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain, and that is, in my life, I've suffered a great many a tragedy, most of which never occurred. You know? So even in the midst of all of this stuff, I think we think that things are going to be something that they're not. In reality, is if we just live with people and love them, and I mean, our house is normal. I, yeah, I do treatments every other week, but we laugh, and frankly, Tracy and I scream and yell at each other like crazy people, just like your parents do, by the way. But, but the reality is, is we're just normal, everyday people who are walking normal, everyday lives with an extraordinary God that's using us to change the world. And he'll do the same thing with you. So when he invites you to be a part of his plan, say yes. It might feel awkward, and sometimes it does. But, but when you walk away from that, I can honestly tell you, it's what they're talking about. It's the, I found heaven in the field, and I sold everything, and I get that. You know? And I want you, literally, out of all of this, I want you to experience life that is truly life. If your church experience is only what happens for an hour and a half here every Sunday, you're being shortchanged. You're being shortchanged. So I'm going to encourage you to be the church and not just go to the church. Amen. Well, on that note, everybody stand. And Greg, I would love it if you, you don't have to stand. You, you, you. <laughs> My feet hurt. <laughs> I would love it if you'd just, would you pray for us? I mean, we could pray for you, but I don't know. I feel like you've been with Jesus, so I'd love for you to just pray for God, for thank you so much for this church body. Thank you for uh, a pastor who's not afraid to challenge us, who's not afraid to challenge us to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on other people and, uh, and for showing us how we can come alive. I pray that each and every one of us will truly listen to your still, small voice, that will slow down enough to hear it, and that we'll do what you ask us to do. And I pray that as a result, each of us will come alive. Each of us will be pastors wherever it is that you place us, whether it be at school or whether it be at our job or whether it be at the grocery store or when we're filling up with gas or just wherever you have us. I pray that we will be in tune, that we'll walk into every situation and just ask you, God, how can you use me to make a difference? And that we'll be in tune with that. And again, whatever you ask us to do, that we'll say yes. So thanks for inviting us to be a part of your bigger plan and just the bigger drama. And uh, I pray that you'll give us strength and wisdom to do that and courage to do that. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. If you want to follow along with Greg's story, on Facebook, it's Greg Murtha with a U. Murtha, M-U-R-T-H-A. I don't think there's probably too many of you out there, are there? So you just look for Greg Murtha. Um, and you will be, I mean, it's like I'm reading an epistle when I'm reading his, you know, blog post. And so follow along with him there and, uh, and look, don't dishonor his sacrifice today by walking out of here and forgetting what he's challenged us to do. But to go out and literally uh, live in a way where you know that you've only got so much time. And it, the book that he's writing, he's talking about that uh, in, the, in the free market, that's something that is in short supply. There's value to it. You know what's in short supply for us? Time. There's more value to it than we're giving it. And the only difference between Greg and me is he knows it, right? And so it's the only difference between him and you is, but we can know it from that. So if you're visiting and you've got the visitor card with you, the connect card, connect card, give you a mug. You could say, I got mugged at Conduit. Um, if you want to be found, that's a great way to do it. Um, and anything else I'm forgetting? 
No. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg.